Praise God. Romans chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, this this morning, again, I appreciate your prayers. It's it's crazy time. I'm going to have to make a couple more trips. They shouldn't affect a service, but it's just that kind of way right now. And so, I appreciate that. Um, Thomas Jefferson, our third president of the United States, made the comment one time. He said, indeed, I tremble for my countrymen when I reflect that God is just. And I think that quote just really came to light recently. I I was struck by the news of a couple of individuals at an awards benefit, and these are interesting people, Sam Smith and Kim Petrus. They did a song called Unholy, and it's tearing up the internet and controversy. Even sinners are saying, this is bizarre. And you begin, you know, and I, you know, uh, he showed up with a little devil horn hat on it and claiming to be an atheist, which kind of interesting. Why would you give credit to the devil if you're an atheist? But there really is just a moral decline in our society that is really hit the fast ramp. It was a couple years ago that the same kinds of satanic-ish uh, accusations came out against the same award show. And it's just interesting to look at society. I'm not going to preach against them or whatever, but in the sense that it's interesting to look at society because this is what society is now lifting up, putting in the homes and in the minds and in the hearts of people today. That Christianity is becoming more and more decisively different. That Christians are becoming more and more obvious to an insane world. That it's come to the point where, as Isaiah has said, they are going to call light darkness and darkness light. They're going to call bitter sweet and sweet bitter. They're going to call right wrong and wrong right says woe unto that generation but as this world slips into a sanity which is nothing new which is not again i'm i'm not a oh those you know because i would have been there too if i had not become a christian but in the text we're going to read paul brings out what the kingdom of god is now it's obvious to say it's not that That's like 101. I mean, like I said, sinners, even people who don't, aren't religious, they said that crossed the line. That went too far. But true Christianity isn't just about identifying with a church or something. It's something that happens in the heart. Paul writes in verses 18, uh, 17 and 18 rather, of Romans chapter 14, He says, for the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things 
is acceptable and approved by men. I want to talk firstly that the kingdom of God is not outward. Eating and drinking, these are rituals or rules that every religion has. Pick your religion. You want to talk about Islam or Judea? He's writing to Jews. Jews can't eat pork. That's a truth in Islam as well. They can't eat certain meats. The Catholics will have a eating ritual that during and starting as of Wednesday or this coming Friday, they're not allowed to eat meat for Lent. They'll have this uh, a time where they'll they, they'll abstain. You can only eat, you know. I remember being in school, and uh, it was either pizza or fish during Lent on Fridays. So they didn't upset the Catholic Church. There's all sorts of outward rules that they would have in religion. They're outward. As long as we're doing outward, this would include dress. Every religion has a dress. Whether that's the monks of, uh, 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 the, the, uh, Buddhist monks that will dress all in, in basically safety orange. Or whether that's the Muslims that require their women to wear a hijab, or whether that's the Catholic priests that wear a collar, or the Mormons who wear their underwear, or whatever it might be. There's a dress code. It's outward. It's always, always outward. And the problem with Christian, the problem that some people face in Christianity is that they measure their service on the outward. First Corinthians chapter eight, verse eight says, but foods, does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat, or are we better, or if we not eat, are we worse. He says, you know what, it's not about the outward. But too many people make it about the outward. Oh, if I follow a few rules, if I attend a church, uh, I met a man, uh, he used to walk by my children's bus stop every day. At about 7 o'clock in the morning, he was going to Mass every day. Catholic Mass, uh, we had struck up uh, a little bit of a uh, rapport. We'd talk to him every because we'd see him just about every day as he walked by. My wife began to talk to him and witness to him one day and talk about forgiveness. And he got all offended. He was trying to earn his way to heaven. He couldn't believe that it was simple enough to believe in Christ and that you would receive forgiveness of sins. He was going to earn it. And apparently he had done something that had violated his conscience so much that he, had, he felt like he had to go to Mass 365 days out of the year. That doesn't make you a Christian. The outward can be shallow, can be skin deep. Romans chapter 2 verses 28 and 29, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is the circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he who is a Jew is one inwardly, and the circumcision is of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And so many make their Christianity an outward thing. It's all about the outward. It's all about presentation. It's all about what they do. But Christianity is to touch your heart. Put together with this is the thought of rituals. Places to go. 
You have to go, the Muslims have to go to Mecca and different things like that. The lighting of candles, the showing up to certain events, they think that's enough. That if I just show up, I'm doing God a favor. I'm okay because I showed up. Now, I do believe Christians will be in church, but Christianity has to be more than showing up for church. It should affect what you do on a Tuesday afternoon or a Thursday night as much as it should affect what you do on a Sunday morning. Christianity is far more than a few rituals. And what Paul is writing here is that God is looking for more. It is easy to fall into the outward. In almost every letter that Paul writes in the New Testament, he deals with this issue about people falling to the outward, the performance. As long as they're performing before certain people at certain times, they're okay. It's like the guy who drives you crazy at work who only works when the boss is around. We've all had people like that where they, they are, they're diligent when the boss, oh yes, yes, boss, yeah, and as soon as he's gone. I worked at a company one time where the boss ended up, where, funny enough, it was my boss ended up calling out sick, and one of his equals decided that was a day he wasn't going to work. And so he, I brought him some things, I had done some things, brought him, he was the quality control inspector, he goes, I ain't working today, Dave's not here. I'm like, yeah, Dave's not even your boss. Yeah, but we can't do anything with him without his approval. It's like, we couldn't have him packed and ready to go tomorrow when he comes back in? Like the whole company shuts down because Dave, car doesn't show up to work? Who, funny enough, was very into cars. But anyway, Paul is writing that God's looking for more. Ephesians 6, 5 and 6, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are masters according to your flesh with fear and trembling and in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as man-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Jesus meets a woman at a well. She's been married, divorced a number of times. She's now living with another man who's not her husband. And it's amazing how she and the Gadarean demoniac, the man filled with thousands of demons, both try to get theological on Christ. It's fascinating to me. How when you deal with sinners, they'll get immediately religious. They'll immediately tell you that they're a good Catholic. Haven't been to church since 1994, but you know, I'm a good Catholic. Well, no, there was that funeral. Right? They'll tell you, but they're, you know, they'll get immediately. And at the woman at the well, Jesus says, but the hour is coming and is now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. That God is looking not at what we do, because she's saying, well, you Jews worshipped in Jerusalem, and us uh, Samaritans, we worshipped in the mountain, and, you know, we got this different thing going, and the people over in Syria, they do something You know, it's like, you know. The truth is, Jesus is looking at the heart. All of these issues 
that Paul writes are heart issues. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is what God is looking for in our lives. I don't know if you've heard this, but I showed a video, and I think Pastor Jesse had showed it as well many many years ago, but I showed it back when I first got here. It was on Asbury College in Kentucky. In 1971, they had a church service that went for 144 hours. It was the second wave of the Jesus People Movement. The Jesus People Movement was a revival that struck America, began in San Francisco among the hippies. But then just a short time later, this revival broke out in a religious college. And when these two met, it changed American society that we are just seeing now the effects of that wearing off. Well, back in February 8th, It was a normal church service, according to Asbury College students and leaders. The gospel choir sang, and at the end of services, some students stuck around. The services are still going on right now, happening again. But I love what one man wrote. President Timothy Tennant cautioned against calling this a revival. Instead, preferring to call it as an Asbury awakening. He went on to write in his blog that I think it is only wise to see it at this current phase as an awakening. Only if if we see lasting transformation that shakes the comfortable foundations of the church and truly brings in a new and deeper place that we can look back in hindsight and say, yes. This has been a revival. What he's saying is that some people in there is that they have a a moment, an awakening. They they get a little bit religious. Says that's fine. But to call it a genuine revival can only be seen from the after effects. Did righteousness, peace, Joy, repentance, numbers of things which involve righteousness show up in people's lives. Our text says, For the kingdom of God is not in eating or drinking, but in righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Let's think firstly what righteousness means. This is a term that's thrown around. It, it's used in different ways. In, in pre-King James translations, there's a few that po- predate the King James Bible. This word in the Greek was actually translated as right wiseness or the thought of doing what is right. One Bible commentator, Albert Barnes, defines this as a word that means virtue or integrity. A faithful discharge of all the duties owed to God and to fellow man. Adam Clark wrote of this, Righteousness is pardon of sin, holiness of heart, and life. 
Righteousness shows up in many different ways. Part of righteousness, of course, is repentance. Because it changes our, our mind, our attitude about sin and God. 1 John 3, 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. So righteousness has to affect you. It changes your view of God. Who is God? Who is God to you? Like I said, religious people, they're trying to pay for their sins, pay for their sins, pay for their sins, pay for their sins. That's a common mark of religious people. They're constantly trying to pay and make right and you you know make restitution you know sometimes there's goodness in making some restitution but righteousness means you accept God's forgiveness because you can't make it right on your own it changes your mind on what sin is everybody has a view of sin Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have been told by someone else to go to hell? You know what they're doing? You've offended them, so therefore they are saying, I'm the judge, you cannot be forgiven. That's what that says. Some righteousness will offend people. Oh well, doing what is right might not always be popular. It changes how you look at people. It'll change your mind on what God calls good and what God calls bad. 1 Peter 2, 24, For he himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree, that having died to sin... Uh, That we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. Paul writes it this way, he says in Titus chapter 2, 11 and 12, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. It's going to affect your money. It's going to affect your morals. In fact, probably no other place will it affect more in our crazy, perverse generation. You ought to do some research on these two that sang this song, Unholy. It's tragic. Kim Petros was a boy until she was 13, and then she started the chemical gender re-modification. Tragic. Our moral in our sexually in our generation has lost it. Do you agree with what God says is right and wrong? It'll affect your time. It'll affect what you do, where you go, what you read. It'll affect everything. Right wiseness. 
The scriptures are clear. Why should we do this? Well, Jesus died for us. He died for our sins. So therefore, we should live for him. That's what righteousness is. It says also peace. The word peace literally means prosperity or oneness. It means quietness or at rest. Another, transla- another definition says of Christianity, it is the tranquil state of the soul that assures salvation through Christ. Fearing nothing from God and connected with its earthly lot, whatsoever sort it is. James 3.18 says, For the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Peace starts with, first of all, your peace with God. You'll never be at peace with man until you're at peace with God. This is something that has to be there. If you're not right with God, you're you're going to be at war with everyone else. Because one is you're trying to do what you think is right, which is going to be selfish and it's going to cost you. But the second part of that is when you're not at peace with God... When there's something that you feel that has come as a blockage to God, and sin is always a blockage between you and God, it then robs us of peace. It is not in the sense that, oh, why can't we just all get along? It's because we're all selfish little critters. We know that in the nursery they're going to be selfish. My son uh, has two dogs. Two golden retrievers. And they're, they're amazing. There's a younger one who's the female and the older one, the male. And if the male has a toy, the female wants it. She's going to get the toy from him. And so he's, he's gotten a little smarter as he's because he's a little older. Sometimes he'll pick up a toy he doesn't want because he knows the little one will steal it. And then he can go get the toy he wants and he'll be happy. He... he, he He's, he's, he's not as dumb as he looks, which is a good thing because he's a dog because he looks real dumb. But anyway, he, you know, but, they, but that's in us. That's not, a, you know, it's funny in dogs. You go, hey, that's cute. And two golden retrievers, they run around and wag their tail and think everybody who's come over to the house has come to see them. Right? And they immediately want to play and throw balls for them. But we're like that. We're selfish. We're, we're put there. That causes problems in our peace. You'll never be at peace with people until you're at peace with God and at peace with yourself. You'll never be at peace with people. It's impossible for you to do that because you're tormented inside. Jesus spoke one time and calmed the raging, the storm over the raging sea. But let me tell you, as the lyricist said, Jesus spoke again and calmed the raging storm in me. Romans 5 and verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to have peace with God by simply responding and letting Him into your life. That's the kingdom of God. 
The opposite of this, of course, is being anxious, people without rest. Anxiety is a major mark of our generation. I think I've read statistics that it's one in six or one in four, I can't remember which it is, I think it's one in four people have to take medication to sleep in our day. The scary thing to me is they're driving cars too. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind through Christ Jesus. The word literally is to garrison. It's literally to put a protective wall around your heart and your mind. People who are not, don't have peace will make foolish decisions. God is not the author of peace. I mean, not the author of confusion, but of peace. The word joy means a cheerfulness or a calmness or gladness. I've mentioned before that happiness comes from the word happenstance. It actually has to do with circumstance. Anyone can be happy if the circumstances are right. But there's people who may have all those circumstances right and have no joy. On the same token, there are people who don't have good circumstances, yet they can have joy. They might not be able to smile at everything that's going on, but they can have that calmness. It is brought out very clearly that this comes through the Holy Spirit. This comes through a relationship with God. John 15, verse 11, Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you, that your joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. The calm delight that no matter what happens in life, circumstances against you, tragedies happen, fights, conflicts, whatever it might be, you can have joy. I'm going to tell on myself. I, uh, I inherited a truck. I don't really want it. I'm not a truck guy, but I have it. It's actually out in the parking lot. I was driving back from Florida in this truck, which will pass everything but a diesel station. I'll tell you that right now. It's got a V8. And it got down to just under a quarter of a tank of gas. And I talked, uh, said to my wife, we got to stop for gas, but we were stuck in traffic. And when I was pushing on the gas, I was feeling it rev in first gear. Well, I literally got into the gas station, didn't quite make it to the pumps in a diesel in South Carolina and ran out of fuel 30 feet from the pumps. Yeah. And we locked the keys in the car. Yeah, we spent four hours sitting at a Love's truck stop. Fortunately, they actually had mechanics there who were on call. And the guy came and helped me out. We had to call AAA, get the keys out of the car and everything. And, it, we got, and we're home. Thank God. Yay. I'm glad. You might not be, but I'm thrilled. <laughs> get out of that truck. But anyway... 
My wife and I, as we were driving to church this morning, we were laughing at it. She goes, well, that's a better story than we have than when we broke down in foreign countries that we didn't speak the language and couldn't, didn't have any currency and all of that, which has happened as well. We met some, my wife prayed, immediately a woman stopped, said, can I help you? She owned a restaurant. She was willing to put us up in our, her home. Talk about southern hospitality. She owned a restaurant. She goes, I'll feed you. Here's my number. I'm going to church right now, but you know what? Uh, call me if you need anything. And she told us, stay away from this mechanic. Uh, the people tell you other things about them, but I'm telling you, they're, they're, that's a drug that's a drug shop right there. They all do drugs. Go to this mechanic or that mechanic. They'll help you out. Ended up getting out four hours later. We're out of there on the road. Everything was fine. Lesson learned, that gas gauge doesn't work. But in the midst of that, my wife and I never panicked, never blamed, just went on, laughed, making other arrangements. What's the closest airport? How much is this going to cost? I'll have to fly back down and get the truck. You know, if it's a mechanical problem, it turned out to be easy. But there was a, there was a, there was a joy in it. We're laughing about it. Yeah. Could be worse. At least we're on the side of 95. At least we're in a place that actually has a restaurant. The place is open 24 hours. Got AAA. We're all good. We're good. That's the kind of peace God gives you. That in a moment that should be, you're not. The joy, the calm delight. Paul goes on to say that it's he who serves Christ in these things is accepted by God. The religious world is busy running around hoping they're doing enough. Hoping that their service is enough. As long as I did, you know, sold so many watchtowers or did so many things or whatever it might be, that that is enough. But maybe it's not, so I got to try harder next time. That if you have righteousness, that God has changed your heart towards sin, towards God, towards things. If you have a peace, because you're now right with God. If you have a joy in life, that's acceptable to God. Righteousness, peace, and joy through the Holy Spirit. Luke eleven thirty nine. the Lord said, Now, you Pharisees. Make the outside of your cups and dishes clean. But your inward parts are full of greed and wickedness. The religious, they made it outward, but inside. People ask me from time to time, what does God want? He wants your heart. If it was about doing certain tricks or certain things then we, I might not be here. But it's about God getting your heart. Because that's where those all come from. He makes in the text that others will see this. That they will come out and others will notice. I have a set of books at home by Charles Finney, the famous preacher from Rochester. And there's a set of books, it's about eight books, and it's called True and False Repentance. 
The difference between, and he goes through eight different aspects of how people can play religious games and not really be right with God at all. But serving God, as this leader at Asbury College said, is seen in the long term. The long term change of who you are and how you live. It is said that there's no atheists in foxholes. That when bullets are flying, everybody's trying to make deals with God. God, if you get me out of this, I'll do this, I'll do that. I'll, you know. God doesn't want the deal. He wants your heart. Acts chapter 16, it says in verse 1 and 2, they came to Deborah and Leicester. This is the Apostle Paul and his crew. And behold, there was a certain disciple there named Timothy, son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystria and Iconum. The tangible work of God in Timothy's life was seen by others. It tells us in our text that if you don't have these, you need to get them. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as I have not, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to do both to will and to do his good pleasure. If you don't have them working in your life, you can ask God. He wants to give these to you. You don't have to jump through a million hoops, do religious exercise, go through certain courses. You simply need to just believe. And God will give you those. That's the miracle. And this is how, according to God, according to the Word of God, according to the Apostle Paul, that's how we serve God. You might want to tell me how long you've gone to church. You might want to tell me how you've done certain things. You might want to tell me how this or that circumstance in your life has prevented you from doing it. Whatever. God wants your heart. He wants to see righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you don't have those, you can get them before you leave. Because it's not jumping. It's not this exercise. It's believing. Martin Luther, the very famous reformer, of which when his father, who was a Lutheran, went to Germany, found out what Martin Luther came, did. He came back and named his son after the great reformer, Martin Luther King. But Martin Luther, the great reformer, was approached by a working man one day who wanted to know how he could serve God. Luther asked him, what is your work? The man said, I'm a shoemaker. Much to the cobbler's surprise, Luther replied, then make good shoes, and sell them at a fair price. 
How do I serve God? Do what's right in your life now. That's how you serve God. Martin didn't tell him, go be a missionary to the far reaches of the world. He told him, just do what is right now and let God help you in the rest. That's what God wants from us. He wants your heart. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Maybe you've come this morning and you're not a Christian. Maybe you could tell me a list of religious things. Maybe you could tell me how you're, you know, a deacon or you've done this or done that. How you were born into a religious family or however it might be. You prayed a prayer when you were eight years old. Whatever it is. But the question now is, in your life, is there joy? Is there peace? Is there righteousness? And if there is not, it is your opportunity right now to find that. By faith, we have peace with God. It's not about our own righteousness. We'll never measure up. It's about the work that God does in our heart. And if you're here this morning, you've come, you're not right with God. You're not saved, you're not born again, you're not seeing these things in your life. It would be our privilege to pray with you. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to make you join a church. We just want to pray a simple prayer that you can receive Jesus Christ in your heart and you can be born again and changed. It begins there. There's responsibilities that you'll have towards that. There's responsibilities that God will have towards that. But the reality is that's where it begins. The reality is admitting I'm a sinner. I do not know Jesus Christ in a personal way, and I want to do that this morning. If that's you, never prayed a prayer, or one time you did and you've turned away, you need to get your heart right with God, I wonder if you'd slip up your hand and say, Preacher, would you pray for me? I want to receive Jesus in my heart. I want to know what it is to be forgiven. I want that peace with God so that I can be at peace with myself and then eventually peace with others. I want that joy. You know, people fill themselves full of chemicals, drugs, and alcohol. Seeking joy, peace of mind, when you can have it in a simple prayer. The problem with drugs and alcohol is it wears off. And usually leaves you in a worse state than when you started. But you can experience that with a simple prayer. Slip up your hand. Pray for me. You're backslidden. You knew God at one time. You turned away. You come back. Very quickly. You're not going to hold this much longer. Do you want to pray a prayer? You want to know Jesus Christ in a personal way? Anyone at all? Changing the call then to Christians. It's so easy to fall into the outward, the checklist. Did that, did that, did that, did that, didn't do that, didn't kill anybody. You know, good things like that. Righteousness. 
peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's stand. That's what God thinks is acceptable. We're going to open up these altars, allow people to find a place to pray. We sing a song this morning. Father, we love you, God. We thank you. We exalt you, God. You are mighty and wonderful. Oh, thank God. Thank God. God is good.